Good morning again to all. And we're, I was just considering our, this, we've been doing a series on preparing for the last days, and we've had quite a run here. This is 23 messages on it. Uh, we've covered a lot of topics and, you know, about what it's going to take to endure to the end and overcoming and uh, to not be deceived, to walk in wisdom and discernment. But really, when we've talked about the last days as a church, our cry is really for God to move, for revival, for the outpouring of the Spirit of God to come. And, you know, we, we need a move of God's Spirit in a days. It sure feels like we're nearing the last days. And so I, I wanted to just kind of finish this series by looking at how we can prepare for a revival, of how we can prepare to flow with what God's going to do, because we realize, you know, as the scripture says that, you know, not everyone will be able to flow with what God is going to do because he's going to do it his way. And, and so we want to look at that. And sometimes we kind of consider the thought of revival and God moving and we say, how long is it going to be before we see this revival that uh, we've been hearing about and, and considering for many years, um, you know, we can, we can all do our end times calculations, right? That especially the, the easy calculations, it's been around 2000 years and we say, well, Lord, isn't, isn't it about time? Aren't you coming soon? And, uh, you know, the world needs to see your glory. Well, and I think I've shared before the story of how, uh, Sarah and I went to the nation of Wales on our honeymoon. And we went to a place called Swansea and it's on the coast. And there's a, a, a large bay next to that town. And it actually, it has one of the largest tidal uh, ranges in the world. It's around 35 feet. And so when the tide goes out, it's, it's way out. And when it comes in, it comes in really fast because it has such a large range. And we were, we happened to come in when the tide was out and we thought it strange. We looked at this bay that was empty of water and we thought, what is this? And, and there were boats that were just sitting on dry land on their side, right? Cause they'd kind of rested down and some of them had the little fin on the bottom and they just kind of sit a little bit on their side. And we thought, why, why is the boat on dry land? Isn't it, shouldn't it be floating in water? Um, and, you know, people were out walking on the sand. There were even some uh, some little caves that could only be seen while the tide was out. And it was kind of a neat experience. But a local saw our, the look on our faces and he offered us some uh, perspective. He said, just wait uh, a few hours and that boat's going to be floating again because the tide is going to come in. And before we left, the tide came in and it came in fast. And that boat was floating and bobbing up and down in the water. Uh, the picture had drastically changed into a bay full of water. And the moral of the story, so to speak, is this, is that the tide can change awfully fast. Yeah. And it's, you know, it can be dry ground in one moment and it can be full of water in the next. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to envision that, especially when we're considering God pouring out his spirit and meeting with his people and bringing a revival of, of righteousness and the fear of God and following him. But we're going to trust God that when he 
decides it's time to move, it's going to happen quickly. And that he's going to pour out his spirit. But yet, in this dry time, we actually, we realize that God has his purposes in that too. Because if you think about what's the easiest way to take care of a boat, it's not when it's in the water. It's when it's in, we call it dry dock, you know, but when it's exposed and there's no water there and then it can be serviced, it can be fixed, worked on and repaired. And so, you know, I kind of want to look at just how we can have our heart prepared to receive the tide, a heart prepared to flow with God. You know, there's maybe there's some boats that aren't in the water that if you put them in the water and they were not ready, what are they going to do? Glug, 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 glug. And they're, they're in the water, but they're not really where you want them to be. They're at the bottom. They're not floating. They can't go with the tide. They're stuck in that one place underneath in the depths. And so we want to be ready for his appearing so we can flow with him as he leads us. And so I want to I want to look at this from the concept of Israel. You know, Israel uh, did not follow God, and so the consequences was they were sent to Babylon for seventy years, and then they the Lord allowed them to come back to Jerusalem and and rebuild and re- be reestablished, and then God would meet with them and prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And so, a work of restoration had to take place in in Israel. But then when that restoration took place, then the glory of God fell as they celebrated the, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the feast of the last day church and revival. And so they're a type of how God wants to restore his church to become vessels of glory and honor, but also as individuals so that we can experience the glory of God that we can meet with him. And so I just wanted to look at at four things that took place in this time of restoration that we can look at as lessons for our lives, for what God wants to do in us to make us vessels of glory, that we can flow with him. Now, the very first thing that, that Israel did when they came back to Jerusalem, the city was in ruins, and the, but the first thing they did, they didn't start clearing up the rubble Instead, they rebuilt the altar so that they could make sacrifices unto God. And really what that could mean for us is one of the first things we can do personally when we're seeking God and we need a, a fresh touch or we need a change in our lives or we need you know, to change ourselves, we recognize something needs to be restored in us or rebuilt or removed or torn down, the first thing we need to do is build up that altar and offer the sacrifice of of praise and worship unto the Lord. And so we have to start by developing that heart to seek God, to build up that altar of praise and worship. And thankfully, God is not concerned too much with how well we can sing. Thank God for that. He's not concerned with the kind of rhythm we have or, or you know, if whether we can play an instrument or not, but he is concerned that we have a heart that loves him and that can express our praise and worship 
act towards him in whatever way, in whatever fashion. We can build up that altar of worship, as Paul said in Ephesians 5 and verse 18. He said, don't be filled with the things of this world. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. Verse 19, how do we do that? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. It doesn't even have to be out loud. It can be in your heart. It helps when it's out loud occasionally, but, but that our heart is filled with the praises of our God. That's how we're filled with His Spirit, and it can the Spirit can increase in us. And so we're filled with the Spirit when we sing in our hearts unto the Lord. And that could be in times of worship at church. It could be in just singing in the Spirit, singing in, in other tongues. But we want to purpose to allow the song of the Lord to flow through us and through our spirit. Because He wants to put a song in us, a song of praise, a song of worship, and of glory. You know, I, whenever I think of, of God giving us a song, I think of those, that group of believers in Revelation 14. Now, it's a picture of them at the end of their journey where they're standing before the Lord on heavenly Mount Zion. And it says, because of their life, they had followed him, them, God in life, that God gave them a song that no one else could know. And that song was theirs for all eternity. You know, Lord, I want to follow you so that I can have a song for all eternity, a song of praise and worship to our King, because it's, but it's a song based on their life because they lived for him. And I'm sure that, that a part of that was they sang praises and worshiped the Lord and so forth. And so we want to focus on having a song for God because that'll affect our lives. It's the foundation for having a life that loves him and followed him. And, and so, you know, that group on Mount Zion, they went through the mountaintops and the valleys, but they learned to worship him in every situation. And that produced a song that remained for all eternity. The next thing that Israel focused on as they were rebuilding was one aspect that almost takes the most amount of time when you're building and that's the foundation. They had to build up the rebuild the foundation of the temp, of the temple that was destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the the city. And so they they had to take time and it's something that can't be done quickly. And and in fact, that's why we can't wait for the tide to come in because you can't build a foundation overnight. You know, when you see the tide coming in, it's almost too late. We need to do that work now of preparing and making our lives and our hearts ready to be used by God, to flow with Him, to be changed, to become like Him. And so there's a work God wants to do in our foundation. And one of the, uh, the greatest and, and clearest ways the Lord talked about how we can be founded upon the rock is from that parable in Luke 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 47. It says, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, that those two little words, boy, they they're, they're pretty powerful. Because we can we can go along without those two words pretty easily, right? Whoever hears my sayings, 
I'll show you what he's like. No, it's whoever hears them and does them. I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man that built a house and dug deep and laid that foundation on the rock. And that's effective and powerful because when the flood arose and the stream beat upon that house, it beat vehemently, it could not shake it because it was founded upon the rock. There's a lot of stream, there's a lot of streams and floods and storms that are coming in the last days that are going to come against us, are going to come against the church, against God's people. And the only way we're going to get through it is by being founded upon the rock. And how are we founded upon the rock? By hearing what God tells us to do and doing it and obeying him. And so let's consider that first requirement is we have to hear from God too, right? We have to hear what he's saying. We can't do it unless we can hear it, um, you know, because those who are going to have strength and power in the last days are those who have heard the word of God, and then they give themselves to it. And so we have to be willing to hear and accept the word of the Lord of what he wants to do and flow with that. And I, I've shared this more than once, but I've, I've always remembered uh, an old tape of our founder, Pastor Bailey, and how he was sharing a message probably in the 70s or 80s or who knows when it was, but it was just one where he invited his wife to come and just share a little bit before he spoke. And, and Sister Bailey just shared how God had recently spoken to her. And they were, at that point, they were coming out of the charismatic revival. And they were looking for something greater, the next thing, the great revival. We're still waiting for that too. But God said, or she said, God spoke to me. And he said, in past revivals, I've come on other people's terms. I've come using people as they wanted to, to flow with me. I've come on other people's terms. But then he said, but in the last days, I'm coming on my terms. I'm going to move how I want to move. And so for this revival in the last days, our life needs to be lined up to God's way of doing things, God's order, God's word, God's truth, and flow with that. But of course, we, we realize the part of that is hearing it, and then it's doing it, obeying it. Now, when you study the Gospels, you realize that the message really comes, comes down to this, the just shall live by faith. We live by faith. You know, the Gospel is about obeying his words to us, and, and faith comes by hearing the word of God. And then we walk in that faith. And, and you realize that, it, uh, you know, from the scriptures, that it delights the heart of God when we obey him, when we walk by faith. It pleases him more than anything else we can do when we walk by his faith. You know, you, sometimes you, you wonder, well, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? You know, I don't think it's going to be those who performed the greatest miracles or who had the biggest following or uh, who had the mightiest abilities or gifts. You know, I think heaven is, is, a, is a very level playing field because it comes down to walking by faith. It's those who have heard the word of God and obeyed it. You know, those are going to be the ones who are great in the kingdom of God. 
And anyone could do that, no matter our position in society or our status or income or whatever. We all have the opportunity to live and walk by faith. That's why I want to examine my life. Lord, is there anything that, I'm, that you're speaking to me that I'm just kind of brushing off as not as important or not picking it up as, as something that is important? You know, Lord, make me one who delights to do your will. That's going to cause us to last. That'll cause us to endure all the storms and the, the trials and the difficulties that we face in our day, but then are going to be even greater in the last days. But that will cause us to stand then, but also in eternity. Another aspect. Did I say three? Yeah, there is, there is four. I was thinking, okay, aspect number three. There was, there was something that took place in, in the rebuilding of the temple that had to be addressed. And that was with the high priest, Joshua. You know, during the restoration period, it talks about it in Zechariah chapter 3, that it wasn't in the natural, but in the spiritual, it was shown that, that Joshua, the high priest, was clothed with filthy garments. His spiritual garments had to be cleansed and made new. He needed a change. And so that can apply to us as believers. We need garments that are prepared and beautiful because after all, our calling is to be a part of the bride of Christ. And we're called to be a part of the wedding feast and go to that. And no one wants to go to a wedding feast whose garments are not looking nice. Well, it's, in this day and age, uh, anything goes. But it used to be that you go to a wedding and you were... You were dressed nice and you're spotless. You didn't want to have stains. That's how it is in heaven too. Is that we want to have garments that are cleansed and made pure and beautiful through the work of Christ, through his cleansing. And, you know, the, uh, the Lord places a lot of emphasis on having beautiful garments, clean garments. The Apostle Paul talks about how we can put off wrong garments and put on the right ones, the beautiful ones. And garments have a lot to do with how we relate to other people. And so Paul says this in Colossians 3.8. He says, put off these. Put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, wrong communication out of our mouth. It always amazes me when you see people who say they're Christians but their communication is like a filthy garment. You know, that can't remain. As believers, there are some things we must put off. We must put those things off of our life. And of course, you, you wish you could just take it off as a garment and throw it away. But Paul says that at times there's, there's a mortifying that has to take place, which means put to a slow death. You know, that taking off process, you wish it was like as quick as just taking your t-shirt off and throwing it in the hamper. But sometimes they have to be put off day after day by our decision. No, nope, I'm not going to do that today. And it's still there. But each day, it's a little bit more removed. And we have to keep doing that. Sometimes it's not feeding it. Not giving into those things or feeding upon those things that would strengthen that uncleanness in us. If something bothers us or 
makes us upset or angry. We, we cry out to God, Lord, help me. But then we avoid it and we do whatever it takes not to feed upon it. And eventually, it will fall away. Eventually, our attitude will change. Our life will change. We won't have the same reactions because it has been put off. But then... We, we can't stop there, right? Because we know what happens. We just put something off and then we don't have anything. We don't, want, we don't want that. We have to put on what is good. Colossians 3 and verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, valves of mercy, kindness, humility of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And so we, we can put off the wrong things, but we have to replace them by putting on the right things, like a new garment. Now, today we have all sorts of fancy things. We have zippers, we have buttons, we have you know Velcro or whatever. But back, back in, in biblical times, they didn't really have a lot of those things, so you had to put the garment on, you know, as a t-shirt, but a long shirt, and you'd put it over your head and your torso, and it would go down upon you. And, and it's, it's kind of a similar concept of how we can put off and put on. You know, it's that idea that if we want to put on those things of the Lord, you know, we, maybe we go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you... There's, I'm lacking something. I'm lacking maybe kindness. Lord, would you put kindness upon me? Well, it has to start in our head. We have to think about that. We have to meditate on it. We have to fill our thoughts with kindness. And then as we continue to do that, it can, it can settle into our heart and we start to feel those things. It can start to come out of our heart and our expression. But then it can go deep within us into our bowels into our inner being, deep in our life. And of course, when it, when it becomes a part of us, it can go down to our legs and our ankles and we walk in that way in our life. And, and so we want to have that goal of putting on the things of Christ, put on humility, kindness, mercy, and love, because those are the garments that make us attractive to our Lord. And those are the garments of the ones who will attend the wedding feast. And so we want to examine our lives. Lord, do I have your garments on me? Because if not, I need them. Because I want to go to the wedding feast. I want to be there and to be made ready. One last aspect, we'll close with this, is you know we can consider how Israel restored and they built that city because they had a vision to do it from the Lord. They had a vision to accomplish something for God and um, and that aided them as they built that. And in one sense, God wants to put that vision within our hearts of, of a joy set before us, of a motivation to please God and to do His will. And it can, be, it can become the most important thing in our life. There's that parable that we can consider in Matthew 13, the parable of the treasure hidden in a field Jesus shared this parable. It's only a verse long, but it, it's like a mile deep. And it says in Matthew 13, 44, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man has found, he hides it. For joy, he goes and sells everything he has 
to buy that field. And so here's someone working in another man's field, but he found something so valuable he was willing to give, give up his all to obtain that treasure. But he does have a choice. He does have a choice in that. You know, he can either keep what he has and remain working in the fields, or he can sell it all, give up those things, and obtain a treasure. And there's a sense that, you know, to go on with God and enter into the fullness of what God has for us, there needs to be a selling of all, of our all, of what we want in our lives, of what the way we want to go, the things we want to do, the things we want to say, the way we want to appear to other people. There has to be a selling and a letting go. But that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to give us that vision of what he, where he wants to lead us and take us, a clarity of purpose of, of what we can do that will please him for our life so that we will be willing to go anywhere, to stay anywhere, to give up anything in order to obtain that treasure of Jesus and being with him for all eternity. A pastor once shared a, a story about his younger days, how he was just seeking God for his life. And, and he, he, at one point he felt a drawing from the Lord. And so, you know, he had a regular job, but he would get up early in the morning before work and he would just pray. And he asked the Lord, Lord, just meet with me. And, and he said that one day the Lord came and gave him a vision for his life. And it so gripped his heart that he said at that point, he was willing to give up and pay anything to fulfill that vision. It just, it dominated his life from that moment on. And you know, that's what God wants to, to put within us, to give us a burning desire and a vision to, to do his will. And it's gonna be varied for, for all of us because we're individuals. But we can ask the Lord, Lord, show me how I can please you. Show me the things you want me to do and let that consume me as a burning fire so that we will fulfill his will. And so God wants to place that vision within our hearts, give us a vision for our lives so that we'll be like that little boat lifted up by the tide, ready to be carried away in whatever direction the master wants to take us however he wants to use us. And, and so let's seek to have a heart prepared for his coming, a heart prepared for the last days. Of course, in the last days, who knows when our last day will be, and so we, we need to be prepared now. Lord, prepare us. Of course, if in his mercy, we're hoping that we can experience revival and what he's going to do in the days to come, but we recognize there needs to be some preparation made in our lives and in our hearts. And so let's build that altar of worship. Let's build our altar and worship him and purpose in our hearts to be worshipers of our King, to lay a foundation of hearing his voice and responding to him and obeying him, doing his will, to put off the old garments of our way, of our reactions, of our way of doing things and put on his garments of beauty and to allow him to establish a burning vision in our hearts of following the lamb wherever he would lead us. 
Father, we thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love for us, your plan for us. Lord, we just cry out to you. Lord, you would do this work of preparation in our lives. Lord, prepare us for glory. Prepare us for revival. Lord, do that foundational work in our lives, we ask, oh God. Lord, we pray that you would just draw our hearts afresh to worship you, to be worshipers, Lord, because we recognize that worship opens up the door of our hearts to your spirit. Oh God, make us those who would hear your voice and do it, that we would be those who would walk and live by faith, and that we would put off those things that are unpleasing to you and put on your beauty in our lives, in your spiritual garments, oh God. Oh, put that burning vision within us, Lord, of fulfilling your will and your plan for our lives, we ask. Oh, that we could follow you wherever you would lead us. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.